0: Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. Welcome along to Gateway. So glad that you're here. I hope you'll be so glad that you're here by the time we're finished. Because I want to talk about a subject that I really don't like talking about. It's a long time since I've done it. I checked back through my records and it was 2013, I think, the last time I talked about the occult. And it seems like a kind of a funny thing to talk about in a series that's based on fighting for your family, but um, as, even though it may seem a little left field, this uh, really does impact families. And it is very much about fighting for them in spiritual warfare. So let's launch in, shall we? The fascination uh, with the occult is is not a new uh, phenomenon, it is as old as humanity itself. And although you might imagine that with the development of science and technology and the advent of modernity and now post-modernity, the occult would have been relegated to the pages of ancient history, it's not in fact so. And the occult has undergone something of a revival over the recent over recent decades. The late Walter Martin, who was uh, a specialist and authority on cults and on the occult, suggested five reasons for that resurgence. He said it's a backlash against science and technology. It's a rebellion against the emptiness of materialism. It's a rejection of uh, institutional religion. There is in humanity a deep fascination with the mysterious and the unknown. And in all of us, there is a need to find meaning and purpose in life. We are meaning-seeking animals, as it were. And um, if the church isn't providing that, then people will look elsewhere for it. In some respects, I think the resurgence of the occult is actually the unpaid bills of the church. We have perhaps let people down in terms of introducing them to the mysterious, to the unknown. And since we haven't done it well, they've gone looking elsewhere. And as a society, we're still fascinated with the paranormal. TV shows, you know, the haunted celebrity ghost stories, Cursed, movies like Stranger Things and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Marvel's latest offering, still attract thousands and thousands of people who are absolutely fascinated with the occult. Prominent people regularly have turned to the occult for direction and advice. The late Queen Mother and the late Princess Diana both had their personal psychics. In fact, the British aristocracy were and remain uh, entangled in the occult. Adolf Hitler and the Nazi fascination with the occult is legendary, as is Joseph Stalin's involvement in the occult. I was listening to somebody, a credible voice just recently, and they were saying that one of Vladimir Putin's closest associates, military associates, one of his inner circle, claims to have psychic powers. He alleges that he can see the dreams that other people have, and he said that he saw a dream that the US Secretary of Defence at that time, Madeleine Albright, had dreamed, and it was all about US seeking to destroy Russia. And so Putin and his associates are obsessed with that idea that the West wants to wipe Russia from off the map. And here it seems that we have foreign policy effectively uh, based on occultic guidance. I I regularly hear of professing Christians who venture into occult territory, sometimes perhaps out of ignorance or perhaps because they think it's just a little bit of harmless fun. I want to say to you it's not, not at all. It's dangerous and it's destructive, as it always has been. Rudyard Kipling once wrote a poem simply called Endor, and the final stanza of it reads, Oh, the road to Endor is the oldest road and the craziest road of all. Straight it runs to the witch's abode as it did in the days of Saul, and nothing has changed of the sorrow in store for such as go down on the road to Endor. Of course, the poem is based around the biblical story of Israel's first king, King Saul. And after a promising start, Saul got himself into deep trouble through his rebellion and his disobedience. God stopped speaking to him. In the end, he sought out a witch or a medium at Endor, and it was his final undoing. And 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13 and 14 says, Saul died for his disobedience to the Lord because he had consulted a medium and did not ask the Lord for guidance get a grip of this one. So the Lord killed him. That's kind of gulp. I mean, is, is that really what it says? It says, the Lord killed him and gave the kingdom to David, to the son of Jesse. That, that phrase, the Lord killed him, is sobering. And I think it gives some indication of how seriously the Lord views um, occult involvement. It is not just a matter of harmless parlor games, a bit of innocuous fun. You know, often people, including many Christians, are actually quite naive and ignorant about what actually constitutes occult activities. And in counselling, over the years, I would often ask people if I felt led to, to ask if they'd been involved in the occult in any way or form, and almost invariably they would say to me confidently, no, no, I've never been involved in the occult. I would ignore that response. Okay, and then I would go through a list of things. Have you ever been involved in, and I would go through a list, and invariably, often, I would see a look of surprise on their face and they would say, oh, oh my goodness, oh oh yes, I did that, and I I did that, but I didn't think that was occult, we didn't mean any harm. As a result, I want to take time. To look at this most unpleasant of subjects so as to be really clear on A, what it is, what are its dangers and how we can stay or perhaps get free from its influence and impact. The word occult literally means something hidden or the act of hiding something. So in astronomy, not to be confused with astrology, all right, we'll talk about that in a minute, but in astronomy, when the sun's rays hide a star, it's called an occult occurrence. And so in that sense, the word occult has no negative connotations at all. It merely is descriptive of a scientific phenomenon. In spiritual circles, however, the occult pertains to seeking supernatural power or supernatural knowledge outside of what the Bible would describe as legitimate and godly parameters. So in the field of what's called parapsychology, which is the so-called scientific field that investigates occult phenomena and occult practitioners, they divide the occult into two main provinces. They call them the C-gamma phenomenon and the C-kappa phenomenon. C is simply the abbreviation for the discipline, parapsychology. Gamma comes from the Greek word to know or to recognize something, and so it is related to knowledge. And kappa comes from the Greek word to move, and it has to do with power. So occult phenomenon, while are wide and varied, are largely divided into seeking supernatural knowledge or seeking supernatural power. Deuteronomy 18 is a classic, but by no means it's the only biblical passage on the occult, and I want to read to you verses 9 through verse 14. It says, When you enter the land that God your God has given you, don't take on the abominable ways of life of the nations there. Don't you dare sacrifice your son or daughter in the fire. Don't practice divination, sorcery. Fortune-telling, witchery, casting spells, holding seances, or channeling with the dead. People who do these things are an abomination to God. It is because of just such abominable practices that God, your God, is driving these nations out before you. Be completely loyal to God, your God. These nations that you're about to run out of the country consort with sorcerers and witches, but not you. God, your God, forbids it. Last week I dealt with the first phrase on that uh, list, um, don't sacrifice your children. I stepped out on some pretty thin ice and we talked about a modern-day equivalent of sacrificing your children. I talked about abortion. Today I want to go on with that list. The next thing on the list is don't practise divination. Now divination can take many forms, but essentially it's an attempt to divine the future. What does the future hold? What will happen in times to come? Will I marry? Will I, you know, and a and, and multitude of questions that people go to seek answers for from those who divine the future in various ways. Now, I understand the need or the desire to know the future. Again, it's as ancient as humanity. And in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 21 and verse 21, it says, The king of Babylon stands at the fork of the road, and he, devo- he decides by divination which of the two roads to take. He draws straws, or actually what, he, what the original says, he shakes arrows out of the quiver and sees how they land and somehow they will point and give him direction as to which fork in the road he should take. He throws god dice, he examines uh, the goat liver. What the ancients would do is they would slay an animal and they would open it up and read the entrails of the animal in much the same way that today, while we wouldn't do that, we, we would have people who would read tea leaves. So divination can take the form of tarot cards, palm reading, crystal ball gazing, color readings involving pendulum diagnosis, fortune tellers, spiritual readings, numerology. And if all that sounds wild and way out there somewhere, I know heaps of Christians who tie a wedding ring around a piece of cotton and hold it over the belly of the pregnant woman to try and find out what gender it is. And you say, oh, come on, Tom, surely, surely you are not talking about a cult there. I mean, that's just a harmless part parlor game isn't it? Well apart from the fact that it's probably totally politically incorrect these days, I mean doesn't the child get to choose its gender at some later date? (laughs) I mean if you want any more proof that the world's gone barking mad look no further but that's another subject. So seriously I just thought that was a a parlor game. Well I want to say it might be on the grey side of the dark arts but I wouldn't even want to step in the grey side. I've seen too much impact on people, on families, on lives, on health, on psychological well-being. And it's not how close you can get to the edge before you go over. It's actually how far you can stay away. I told the story this morning about three men who were applying for the job of a carriage driver for a very wealthy uh, man who owned a manor. And the road going up to the manor was very steep with a drop-off on one side. And the three guys were talking about how skillful they were at driving this cart. And one said, I could go that close to it without going over. The other guy, to better him, said, I could go that close to going over. The third guy said, I wouldn't go near the edge, I'd be way over here. And the manor owner who heard the conversation says, you're hired. It's not how close you can go before you go over. Just, I would, I would want to say to you, just stay away. You say to me, Don, oh, come on, there's no intent there. I think you're being overdramatic. Well, I'd rather be overdramatic and safe. You know, one of the points that Chris made a couple of weeks ago is, uh, when he was talking about spiritual warfare is that the devil doesn't fight fair, And quite frankly, he doesn't give a toss about what you intend. You go on to no man's land, he'll put a hook on you as fast as he can, intent or no intent. And I've seen the impact of the occult, as I say, on too many people to want to go within a bull's roar of the edge. People say, well, Don, but divination worked. I know someone who went and got a spiritual reading and it was so accurate. Listen carefully. I'll probably say this more than once, but if you don't hear me later, hear it now. Real is not the same as right. Real is not the same as right. Nobody that I know anyway suggests that the demonic realm isn't either real or powerful. Stay away. The next thing on the list is... Uh, an observer of the times. What we're talking about here is astrology, not to be confused, as I said before, with astronomy, which is just a scientific discipline. Astrology is the belief that there is kind of a cosmic interrelatedness in the universe. The sun, the moon, the planets, the stars, all apparently exert some kind of influence on us, particularly at the point where you were born, and uh, this influence affects our character, our options in life, and of course our ultimate Destiny, And it really amounts to a form of pantheism where we are all part of the interrelated whole. And that's a denial of the personal transcendent God of the Bible who stands over and separate from all that he has created and at the same time retains a deep and profound commitment to all that he's made. Isaiah 47, God is mocking Babylon. Babylon that has been so strong, so proud, so oppressive, and they are now falling. And God, through the prophet, mocks them. And listen to what he says. Ruin descends, and you can't charm it away. Disaster strikes, and you can't cast it off with your spells. Catastrophe, sudden and total, and you are totally at sea, totally bewildered. But don't give up. From your great repertoire of enchantments, there must be one you haven't tried. You've been at this a long time. Surely someone will work Something will work. I know you're exhausted trying out remedies, but don't give up. Call in the astrologers and the stargazers. They're good at this. Surely they can work up something. And then he says, fat chance. You'd be grasping at straws that are already in the fire, a fire that even now is raging. Your experts are in it and won't get out. It's not a fire for cooking venison stew, not a fire to warm you on a winter's night. That's the fate of your friends in sorcery, your magician cronies that you've been colluding with all your life. Again, you get the sense of God's absolute disgust at occultic activities. Now, I know, again, people get involved in astrology at all kinds of levels and depths. There are those who simply read their horoscope in the newspaper or online or whatever it is, and they would say, oh, it's harmless, you know. Again, it's a bit like the ring. It's a bit like how close to the edge can you go? There are others, of course, who go into it in much more detail. They have detailed charts complicated charts drawn up to guide their lives, to instruct them as to what are auspicious days and what are propitious times for certain activities. You know, for us believers, our times are in his hands, and we don't look to the stars. We look beyond them to the one who fashioned them, and the Bible condemns that kind of seeking supernatural knowledge from the stars back to Deuteronomy 18, which then says sorcery, witchcraft, and casting of spells. The Living Bible says, who practices black magic or calls upon the evil spirits for aid. Now, this is about people who are seeking to manipulate the spirit world for their own ends, their own personal ends. We are not talking here about what we call ledger domain. you know, sleight of hand, now you see it, now you don't, kind of tricks done by magicians. And we're not talking about that. What we're talking about is the magicians who opposed Moses in Pharaoh's court and who were able to a point, to replicate supernatural activity. So you've got Wiccans and Satanic cults and covens and so, so, so on who, who fall in that category. And I suspect that most of us actually do recognize at least this as being a cult. And when you talk about a cult, they think of you know, the witches around the bubbling brew However, in thinking about it, sometimes I think things happen a little closer to home than we imagine. The great anthropologist Bronislaw Manilowski said, there's a difference between magic and religion, and this is the difference. Magic is where people endeavor to gain control over spiritual forces in order to obtain their own ends, Religion, he said, is where people surrender themselves to spiritual forces so they might be servants to whom the spiritual forces can minister in the world. Given that definition, sometimes I think there is a lot of magic that goes on under the guise of, and it passes itself off as religion. And uh, there are people who are looking for the right spiritual formula that will corner God into giving them what they want. And over the years, we've seen things like positive confession, um, giving in a certain way that basically forces God to give back to us, um, all kinds of prayer formulas that, that are a lot closer to magic than some of us would imagine. And I want to just say, we never reduce relationship with God to playing power games to get him to do what we want. We are surrendered to him so that he can have what he wants through us, not vice versa. Some of those so-called spiritual formulas are apparently close to the magic that that, uh, Bronislav Minoloski talks about. In Deuteronomy 18, it also speaks of those who are holding seances or channeling with the dead. And in my experience, i don 't know whether it 's the same as yours, but a lot, I've found a lot of people, including some of my friends, got into those activities at party gatherings where people said, "Come on, let 's have a bit of fun." and the pressure, the peer pressure to sit around the table with the finger on the glass and ask questions, and uh, you know, the Ouija boards come out, the automatic writing and so on. There are genuine people driven by grief, having lost a loved one who seek out mediums and psychics in an attempt to make contact with the dead. And I've talked to people like that, and they'll say to me, "Don, Bert, that, that, that reading or that activity gave me information that only my BERT would know. It must have been my BERT, because nobody else knew the things that that, that medium told me. Um, remember. Right, right and, and um, real are not the same thing. You can be real without being right. And I'd venture to suggest that, in fact, you're not dealing with your dead loved one, but you're dealing with s- deceiving spirits that simply mimic them. I'm sure that you've heard of the term familiar spirit. A familiar spirit is a family spirit, and family spirits have access to information and often will produce it to lure people into the dark web of occultic activity where terrible bondage awaits. Remember Kipling's words, nothing has changed for the sorrow in store for such as go down the road to endoor. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 13 says, don't dabble in the occult or traffic with mediums, you will pollute your soul. Listen, when God says, I do not want you going there for supernatural knowledge or supernatural power, he's not saying, hey, that's my domain. Keep your nose out of it. I don't want you meddling in that. In actual fact, he invites us both into supernatural knowledge and into supernatural power, but he does it through godly, legitimate channels. When we look for those things outside of those godly parameters, we we find that, there's something that pollutes us. There's something that profoundly wounds us. It's not just God being mean. He's saying you are not created for that. It will wrench something in your system, a bit like seeking a bass voice to sing soprano. It forces forces you into a range that harms and tears your spiritual vocal cords, as it were. You're not made for it. If you want to understand how occultism perverts and distorts people, then a return to Shakespeare's Macbeth. I know that some of you probably need healing for the trauma of having gone there once. But, but go back and have a read of that. Recall that the play begins with three witches who defile Macbeth with false predictions of glory. And the unfolding story is a revelation of the twisting effects that occult has on God-given conscience and thought. And the occult wreaks havoc, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Occult dabbling, however insignificant you think it was, or whatever your intent was, opens up psychic doors. It opens up psychic doors and allows demonic interference for both you and your descendants. Now, when I say things like that, you know, that a cultic sin actually will not just impact you, but it affects your descendants, most Westerners go, hang on a minute, that's not fair. Why should I suffer for something that somebody else has done? And I would respond in two ways to that. Number one, life isn't fair. Get used to it. Secondly, most Westerners in our radical expressive individualism, fail to realize that we are impacted by, our genera- by the preceding generations. Massively, in so many ways, in spite of the fact that we claim our independence, we are significantly impacted by previous generations. We are impacted for good. Proverbs 20 verse 7 says, the righteous man walks in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. We don't, we don't quibble about that or whine about that. But it works negatively, too. In Exodus 20, verse 5, it says, I'm a jealous God, punishing the children for any sins their parents may pass on to them, to the third and, yes, even to the fourth generation of those who hate me. You think, God, that sounds a bit draconian. Well, it's preceded by the fact that God shows mercy to thousands of generations of those who love him. But when we go down the road of the occult, we open psychic doors, and unless those doors are closed, that influence will impact not just you, but it goes on impacting. Let me, let me just kind of finish by suggesting to you things that I've noticed. When people have been involved significantly in the occult, there are some things that just come up as common denominators. I've seen them a dozen times. And number one is spiritual resistance. The occult involvement impacts negatively on people's spiritual development in Christian things. Interestingly enough, Buddhism, Islam, and a number of those other religions delve deeply in the occult, and it doesn't seem to bother them. You become a Christian, and God help you. Things suddenly heat up. If he can't... hinder you from coming to faith in the first instance, then there will be strong resistance to the development of faith. And I'm not talking about the normal struggles that we all have in the development of our faith. I'm talking about resistance on steroids, where people simply cannot read the Bible. Not not they struggle or they have difficulty, but they can't hold the Bible even. They can't be in the room with the Bible. They become intensely uh, uncomfortable in the midst of passionate worship. I have literally seen people leap out windows to get away from, a, from the midst of a people who were, who were worshiping passionately, just couldn't cope. I've seen people, when they've come to communion, literally go out and throw up. And I'm not talking about people who are just feeling a little bit unwell or had been out the night before and the sight of the bread turned their stomach. I'm talking about people who, in the midst of communion, couldn't cope. Occultically involved people. Spiritual resistance. The second thing is it introduces a note of emotional instability in the people that go down that road. C.S. Lewis noted that the people he knew that had gone down into deep occultic activity tended toward complete emotional breakdown and insanity. Dr. Kurt Koch, who was a noted authority on the occult, said, Occult activity breaks up the integrality of a person's psychological makeup. It is like a built up charge of energy which explodes the stability of the person's psychological constitution. It opens the door. And, and an interesting passage of scripture, Isaiah 44, verse 25, it says, God frustrates the signs of the babblers and, di- and drives the diviners mad. There is something about the occult and emotional instability that go hand in hand. And it can take the form of inner voices, compulsive thoughts, obsessions, confusions, suicidal thoughts, torment, constantly disturbed sleep patterns is common. Now, if you're struggling with insomnia, I'm not suggesting that it must be occult, okay? You've got to take a little bit, you know, I'm painting a big picture here. But I've seen people who do go down the road to the occult They very rarely sleep well, with nightmares and fitful things going on. Macbeth said it, he said, me thought I heard a voice cry, sleep no more. Macbeth doth murder sleep, the innocent sleep, he says, but something disturbs me. And and I've seen that again and again. I was telling the story this morning of uh, a church that um, I was involved with in Cambridge where a physician who was in our congregation rang me up one day and said, Donna, you're free. I said, yeah, I'm, at the moment I am. And he said, I'm sending a mother and a daughter down to see you right now. They're in my practice. He said, I, I, I think you need to help them. Oh, okay, well, she—I'm not quite sure what this is about, but anyway, knock on the door, and in comes this lady with uh, 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 with her daughter. She—the daughter was probably guessing now, t- between ten and twelve. She was at intermediate, and um, I asked what was going on, and the mother said, "Look, um, she just she's terrible at sleep. She does not sleep. She, she uh, uh, just so upset. She went, she so sometimes it's two o'clock in the morning." and I cannot get her to sleep. She will not sleep in the dark. And uh, I, I just—I felt prompted to ask the mum, have you ever been involved in the occult? No, she said. Put that aside, ignore that, go through my list. Oh, yes, I did that, she said. Oh, my goodness, that brings back a memory. Yes, she said. We had our fingers on the glass, and my friends said, what are you going to have? A girl. What's her name going to be? Petta. And I said, and what's your name? Peter, seriously. So, long story short, we prayed for her. And I asked the Lord to break that impact off her. They went, I kind of had forgotten about it, a week later I get a phone call. And the phone call is from the intermediate, and it was the principal of the intermediate school in our town, and he said, what did you do to Peter? And I thought, I don't. <laughs> oh God, I'm in trouble. What are, um, I, I, I just prayed for her, why? And he said, she is a totally, totally different girl. I, 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 they said that they came and, and you prayed and she's totally different. What did, how did that happen? And so we had that conversation. I then rang Peter's mum and said, what's going on? And she said, you'll never believe this. She said, we went home that night at eight o'clock. Peter said, I'm tired, I want to go to bed. She, made a, she went off to bed, she hopped into bed and said, Mum, will you turn the light out? Light out, out like that. I wish I could say that everybody I prayed for, that happened. Unfortunately I can't, but that was one that really did take place. And, and sometimes all you need is like, what, what, where, where's, that? where's the root of that, where's that come from? What has opened the door? Another thing that happens with people who get involved in the occult is what we call poltergeist phenomenon, noisy ghosts, you might call it, footsteps where there's no people, knocks, noises, all kinds of stuff going on when there is nobody to cause it. I'm not talking about the creaking of a Lockwood house here, okay? I'm talking about there is somebody there, I heard them, I saw the shadow, but there's nobody there. I had a Dutch lady come to me one time and she says, Don, this has gone on for most of my life and I'm sick of it. I don't know what it is, but I go to bed at night and I lay my head on the pillow and above, the, above my, my bed head is as distinct as that. And I said, okay. Um, and she said, I get up. I've, I've checked every room in the house a hundred times. She said, I've gone outside to see if there was anybody lurking outside. And I come back, I lay down. So I said, have you ever been involved in the occult? She said, no, I ignored that. And I went through, have you, oh, she said, we used to do that as kids when we were in the, the bomb shelters during World War II, but that was so long ago. And I said, if the door's open, it's open. If it's never been closed, it remains open. So I said, can we pray? So we prayed. A week later, she came back to me. She said, Don, it's never happened again. A month later, she said, still never. You do get occult interference. And if it's as simple as you're doing well. Because he is a lot more intent on doing harm to you than simply disturbing you with a knock on the door. And there's nobody there. Sometimes it can take the, um, the form of psychic sight or premonitions. Whenever, those, whenever people talk about those things, one of the questions I want to ask is, have you been involved in the occult? No. Have you ever done this, 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 this? And, and sometimes no. And there might be a genuine sort of prophetic gift that needs nurturing and, and release. But oftentimes, parents or grandparents have been deeply, steeply involved in the occult. You say to me, well, Don, okay, this sounds pretty serious. What do I do? If I have or I know my family members and a a grandparent, um, parents or grandparents, they were involved. What what do I do? Get prayer, okay? Tonight at the end of the service, our prayer teams are going to be over here. If that's part of your journey and you've never prayed about it, please would you come and allow them just to pray over you. Now, I said this this morning too, but I know that the verse I'm about to give you is completely taken out of context, okay? Don't email me and say, hey, Don, that verse you quoted at the end of your sermon, it's completely out of context, I know. And I'm not recommending this as a good way of teaching the Bible, okay? But it just really helped me in terms of illustrating what I want to say. Malachi chapter 1, verse 10. Who is there even among you who would shut the doors? There's somebody who needs to shut the door. And If you haven't shut it, I don't care if it was five years ago or 50 years ago, if you haven't shut the door through prayer, then the door is open, and you need to shut the door. Through repentance and forgiveness and renunciation, shut the door, cut off the impact of that occult involvement. So, well, Don, all this stuff scares me a little bit. I find it a little bit maybe over the top, a little bit spooky, a little bit super spiritual. Well, you don't have to be frightened, but don't be naive either. We are in a warfare, Chris was saying the other week. Half of of the Christians, particularly in the West, go on as if there's no no enemy to to be fought. You can't read the Bible. You can't read the New Testament without recognizing there are principalities, there are powers, there are spiritual forces, and they are hell-bent, and I use the word advisedly, on destroying you and your family. And we do need to fight for our families. And part of that fight is making sure that, A, we are clean and clear of the occult. And if there is something that flows through our generation, we shut the doors and we stop it. The the occult is a dead-end street. And if it was only a dead-end street, well, that that would be bad enough. But it's a dead-end street that intends to then ambush you while you are down it final scripture, Isaiah 8 verse 19. When people tell you try out fortune tellers, consult spiritualists, why not tap into the spirit world and get in touch with the dead? Tell them, no, we're going to study the scriptures. I love the message translation. People who try the other ways get nowhere, a dead end. Frustrated and famished, they try one thing after another. When nothing works out, they get angry, cursing first this God and then that one, looking this way and that, up, down, and sideways, and seeing nothing, a blank wall, an empty hole, and they end up in the dark with nothing. That's the occult. It might have an attraction for you. You know, um, I'm speaking from first-hand knowledge here, but my... my, um, my wife's family were involved in the occult, and there, were, there, there was a line running down, and Karen and I had to pray through that, and when it came to our daughter, Janaea, we recognized, and at some point in her journey, she was just a teenager, so she said, this stuff's kind of fascinating. What is wrong with horoscopes and astrology? And so I tried to explain it to Janae, and she went off and about 10 minutes later she came out and said, Dad, you'll never guess this. What's just happened? She said, I went in, sat with my Bible and said, Lord, is it really wrong? And she said, I started reading the message, Colossians chapter 2, and you can read it for yourself, about verse 10. It says, in searching for God, you don't need a microscope, you don't need a telescope, and you don't need a horoscope. And she came out and said, what's the odds of that? And I said, it's nothing about odds. I said, that's the Lord. And she said, yeah, I know. Don't go down that road. The road to Endor is the oldest road of all. And the sorrows in store for those who go down that road remain the same. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.